For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. She's a fashion blogger, model, and entrepreneur. She's amazing. The latest tips on fashion, beauty, wellness, travel, and her lifestyle. And now, here's the founder and creator of Not Basic Blonde, Olasha. Hi loves, welcome back to another episode of Not Basic Blonde podcast. Whether you're a young entrepreneur, property entrepreneur, have a business idea, or just thinking about how to start a business, you will get the value and business motivation you need to succeed from this episode. Also, you will learn the basic rules how to create limitless wealth. My guest today is Rob Moore, who is an entrepreneur, investor, author of 18 Amazon and Audible bestsellers, prolific podcaster, two times public speaking world record holder, founder of the Rob Moore Foundation, and so much more. A self-made millionaire by the age of 30, having risen to riches from being heavily in debt in his 20s, Rob has retired and unretired countless times, each time creating a new innovation, vision, book, or entire company. Rob is a writer, communicator, social media influencer, and philanthropist. His eight books have been translated into more than a dozen languages and received over 9,000 reviews. He is a highly thought after public speaker, having given 1,200 speeches and in the last decade held two world records for the longest individual speech marathon. He has the rare skill of cutting to the chase using his personal experience to help others and entertain in a disruptive way. Rob will be sharing his secrets on how he became a multimillionaire by the age of 30, basic rules how to create vast amounts of wealth, does it really take money to make money, time management skills and the best advice on time management, the best path to success and so much more. But before we dive in, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review Not Basic Blonde podcast on Apple Podcasts. Hi, Rob. So glad to have you on the Not Basic Blonde podcast. Welcome. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being my guest. It's always a pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) And let's dive in. So you have an incredible career and incredible background. So tell us how a 25-year-old struggling artist with 50K debt became a multimillionaire by turning 31. It's a long story, but keeping it short, I got into real estate and I 
always wanted to be an entrepreneur from age six because my dad raised me in pubs and bars where he used to own them and I used to live in with him and he'd always have a load of money in his pocket and he'd get me working from age six, um, emptying the pool tables, the slot machines and even taking money off the customers. I could count with money at a very young age. Uh, but then, you know, you go to school and you do your exams and you're a good boy and you go get a degree at university and you go to college and you're a good boy. And then you go out and get drunk a lot and you're a bad boy. And then all of a sudden you're 25 and you're in debt, loads of money, and it can kind of creep up on you and you're still living with your mum and your dad in your pub. And you're, you're just all of a sudden your life's caught up with you. So that was how it kind of had gone for me. But then my dad had this huge nervous breakdown in his pub in front of all of his customers. He was sectioned and beaten up by the police. He was diagnosed with bipolar and it was awful for us. And I felt a lot of shame that my dad had put me through school and university and paid for my first car and my first house. But, you know, this entrepreneurial flair that he had that he almost raised in me from a young age, I'd lost for like nearly 20 years. And to see my dad getting beaten up out side of his pub with all of his customers watching and my mum and my sister crying their eyes out watching it happen was quite shameful for me so um I spent a couple of weeks hating myself and then thought dad had always told me to get into property and so had a few people I knew I was doing a bit of art and a gallery owner of mine said you should get into property and everyone was saying you should get into property in 2005 so I went down to this networking event I hated property well, I hated rich people, let's be honest. Um, it's funny, but you become what you hate. And, and anyone who wore a suit was a yuppie. And I liked to rage against the machine. And I was an arty type. And nah, what am I doing here? I hate this place. But the last person I met at the bar was um, my business partner of today. We've been business partners 16 years. It's the 15th anniversary of our company, um, Progressive Property. Um, and we, um, I got myself out of debt in year one, sourcing properties for other people in a job. Got made my first hundred grand, bought my first nice sports car cash, then bought 20 properties year one, 30 year two and 50 year three with my Mark's money and other people's money and family and partner and private finance money. And then um, it all sort of grew from there. And yeah, I became a millionaire by age 31, a decamillionaire by age 35. I'm 43 now. I've written 18 books on business and real estate and done a few hundred million in revenue. We've just completed a 99 apartment, 159 tenant block, which um, made me net profit of 14,377,000 pounds in November 21. And I still pinch myself because I still feel like that little kid in my dad's pub. I don't think I've quite grown up or fully got used to it yet, but that's the short version of the story. Wow, that's very impressive. And your dad went through a lot. That's crazy what he has to mm. go through. But also, like you being such a young age and learning so many life lessons already, it's like fascinating, probably put impact on you. That's who you are now today. And I guess it helped you to become who you are today. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. I loved, I mean, everyone else wanted to go to school. Well, everyone probably didn't want to go to school. They wanted to play, but I didn't want to go to school. I wanted to work when I was six and eight and nine years old. Every weekend I worked, I loved earning money. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, that's probably why I work quite a lot, but I don't really see it as work. Um, you know, doing stuff like this is fun. I was just doing a multi-stream live to about five social media channels just before we went on. And 
I get to talk about things I love and I, I feel very grateful for that. So, you know, that's probably from when I was raised as a kid, it like going to work for me would feel like going to school, but running my own companies and being an entrepreneur feels like play. I totally feel you on this one. And it also feels to me that when I was kind of, well, my parents always told me, well, you can do whatever you want, become an entrepreneur or whatever, but you need to have education as well, because you just need to have the check that box. And I feel like, I don't know. I mean, if, if I really learned anything in school that I'm doing now, I don't think so. I feel like all the jobs that I've had before I've done, I mean, I became an entrepreneur in what I'm doing now. Those jobs helped me, but actually learning something in school that is, you can apply in life. That was kind of pointless. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I mean, they taught me geography in French when I was 15. Like, why would you learn geography in French? You can't do anything with that when you're an adult but they didn't teach me money management or, or managing my emotions or, you know, they didn't teach me all the, the proper life skills and financial education and budgeting and money management and, you know, all this stuff. So yeah, right. I am completely with you. I, the, I think the school system is great. If you want to be a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer, an accountant, you know, if you want to be a specific thing in the, in almost in public service, not quite, but almost, but if you want to be an entrepreneur, start your own business, be an employer, be a creator. Um, the, the current school system is not built for that. Exactly. And usually kids or just adults, like, you know, in universities or kids in school who are trying to stand out and being very like unique, they get bullied because they're not like everyone else. Yeah, well, I, I was the fattest kid in my year, age 11 to 13. So I know what it's like to feel like that. But actually, weirdly now, I like not being like everybody else. And I like standing out a bit. And if they're going to ridicule me for that, I'd rather be ridiculed for being different than be ridiculed for being exactly the same as everyone else. Oh, I absolutely agree with you because my movement and kind of my brand is all about be unique, never basic. That's why it's like what not basic blonde stands for. Mm -hmm. So I always you know say that and i always think that that it's be yourself embrace your individuality and never basic <laughs> love that and by the way you're smashing it so well done on all your success your instagram is massive thank you it's a lot of hard work like daily work mm. yeah a lot of like you know dedication and being persistent so it's so many aspects amen <laughs> <laughs> thank you what are the basic rules to create vast amounts of wealth? Um, rule number one, you've got to know what money is and isn't. Rule number two, you've got to learn the rules of money. Rule number three, you've got to manage your emotions around money. And then rule number four is you've got to create um, value and fair exchange. And then rule number five, you've got to scale that to the masses. So let me just quickly go through those and hopefully I remember the rules I just said. So rule number one, um, you've got to know what money is and isn't. Money is a universal exchange of value. It's a unit of account. It's a measure of worth and store of value. It's a really good store of energy. That's what it is. It's not greed. It's not power. It's not the root of all evil. These are just human emotions projected onto money. And I'm going to give you a quick example here. Um, 
Imagine a hammer. You can use a hammer to hammer a nail. You can use a hammer to pull out a nail. You could use a hammer to smash in someone's skull. Now, let's say someone took a hammer and smashed in someone's skull. You wouldn't try the hammer for murder. You wouldn't have the judge and the jury ruling that the hammer get life in prison. That would be ridiculous because the hammer is just a tool. Well, money is just a tool. So why do we say that money is the root of all evil? How can a tool be the root of all evil? It can't. It's not conscious. It doesn't have emotions or morals. It's a universal exchange of value. So you have account. It's a measure and store of worth. It's a store of good energy. It's a hedge against an uncertain future. That's what money is. Because the reason a lot of people don't make money is because they don't know what it is. And they put all their own fears and doubts and shames and emotions onto money. And they judge other people around, um, around money. So then once you understand what money is and isn't, and you realize it's just a tool and it's like a hammer and it can be used for good or bad, it's how you use it, then you've got to learn how to use it. Now, a hammer is easy to use. You pick it up and you smack a nail, but money is a little bit more complicated. It has certain law laws, like a money flows from those who value it most to those who value it least. Money flows from the impatient to the patient. Um, and uh, money works best under fair exchange. And fair exchange is where you get fair value from what you buy from me and you feel that you know you paid a fair price and i get fair pay for what you bought from me and i felt like i get paid a fair price if you think what you paid is fair and i think what i got paid is fair we're both happy and that scales because you're going to tell people i'm happy with rob's product and i'm going to find more people like you and you're going to give me referrals and i'm going to be grateful to serve you and you're going to be grateful to buy from me that's fair exchange but unfair exchange is where you pay too much and you feel like, oh, I got ripped off by Rob, paid too much, didn't get the value. Or where you don't pay enough or I give too much away because I'm scared. And, you know, I'm, I've got all this guilt around money. So, oh, you know, oh, don't worry, you can just oh, have it for free or you can have a discount or whatever. And I undercharge for my, for my real worth. And then I start to resent you because you didn't pay enough. But it's not your fault because you're only going to pay what I charge you. So it's my fault because... My self-worth is my net worth. And if my self-worth is low, my net worth will be low. So this is um, fundamentally important to understand fair exchange. Now, by the way, fair exchange is nothing to do with price. It's everything to do with value. So you could buy a 20 pound plastic digital watch, which could break in a month and you could be really pissed off. I got ripped off of $20 sh shitty watch. Or you could pay a hundred thousand pound for a Patek Philippe and you could love every minute of it. And it's such a beautiful thing. They both tell the time. One is $100,000, one is $20. And you can be pissed off at $20 feeling like you got ripped off. And you could be happy at $100,000 feeling like you got a bargain. So, um, you know, price and value are different. Uh, and so if you give value, you can increase price. Um, managing your emotions around money was one of them I mentioned. So generally speaking, volatile emotions will erode well. If you're elated, whoa, let's go party. Let's celebrate. Everything's great. Don't worry. Let's just spend the money. We don't need to say if everything is awesome. And then you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, you know, and addictions are where you're elated and, you know, you spend all your money when you're addicted. But then also depression. Oh, I hate myself. I hate life. I'm not going to give anyone any money. I hate the world. I'm going to hoard it all. I don't want to give any value. I hate my boss. I'm going to work minimum amount I can. So if volatile emotions, extreme, high or low, erode well. So you need to have a neutral balance perspective. You need to have, um, you know, when, when you're um, wanting to make money and budgeting and financial decisions, pricing and sales and marketing and planning you need to be neutral. 
um, be holistic to see, you know, um, both upsides and downsides of any, you know, financial strategy that you have. Um, so there's a few um, fundamental laws and rules of money and, and making it and keeping it and growing it. I love it. And of course, you said money is a tool. I know so many people have bad emotions around money and having like bad perspective, like money is root of evil, like you said. And that's why so many have unsuccessful relationship with money. And it's kind of stopping you from getting wealthy because when you have to, I mean, you have to heal the relationship with money to become wealthy. And my always number one saying, it's always, I keep repeating it, like the self-worth equals net worth. And, you know, so many people try to increase their net worth, but they have a lot of work to do. I mean, internal work to do with their self-worth. So it's kind of like depending on each other. I mean, they both go hand in hand. 100% they do. If you don't value yourself, why should anyone else? And um, most people forget that they've lived a life. Like even if I was a rubbish entrepreneur and I couldn't sell and I couldn't do any marketing and blah, blah, blah. I've still lived 43 years and I've still seen things. And I've still got a life of experience that has worth and value. I just have to honor that in myself and find out where those high value and high experience areas are of my life. And then create a business around it. So I look around my room here. I'm in my home studio and I can see a load of vinyl. I know a lot about vinyl because I'm, pas I'm passionate about vinyl. So I could create a subscription site or build a community around vinyl collecting and buy, sell, exchange and, you know, assessing sound quality of certain presses, etc. I could do that. Why couldn't I do that? So, yeah, people don't realize that they repel money when they don't value themselves. Because here's the thing, if you don't value yourself, you're not going to accept being paid. But the more you value yourself, the more you'll charge. And everyone has this like thermostat. So um, I don't know if I should say this publicly, but I suppose if someone requested me to speak, I would say that. So I can probably say it, but my keynote speaking fee is $25,000, 20,000 pounds. And I won't do it for any less because I know I'm worth that. Someone's been trying to get me um, for um, free. I'm like, no, I don't do it. I don't do it for free because I'm worth 20,000. But I'm not charging 100,000. So that means I feel like I'm worth 20,000 for a 60-minute speech, but I don't yet feel like I'm worth 100,000. Otherwise, I'd charge 100,000. But I'm definitely not worth 1,000. So... I should probably compare myself to speakers that get paid a hundred thousand and increase my own self-worth in the area of value of speaking. Now I, I know I'm a better speaker than some people that would get paid a hundred grand, but some people that get paid a hundred grand to speak are famous and I'm not famous. So, um, but it's an interesting thing to go inside. Um, but I wrote a book called I'm worth more. And I think we're all worth more than we give ourselves credit for, for sure. So true. I know what you mean as far as like you explaining about fees and speaking. I mean, I get so many brands reaching out to me and asking like ridiculous prices. I mean, but like, can you, I mean, some people don't even know and don't even see like 
how i mean you have to see who you asking and what are you asking i mean like you have to like be reasonable too as far as like you know some people asking impossible things and they just want it they underestimate underevaluate someone's work and not even you know like asking ridiculous prices as far as like ridiculously low prices for someone that is very experienced yeah and it's up to us to hold our value because if you don't value yourself yeah. you'll always drop your price because you don't want to let people down or you don't want to miss an opportunity but the problem is with price if you give yourself like in the past i've given people discounts why because i i want to be nice two maybe because i've been a bit weak and what always happens when you give someone a discount they go and tell everyone and then everyone wants a discount and you've just dropped your own fee so i refuse to do it i'd rather have less gigs at high money knowing that I've got integrity. Because it's, it's like if you paid me 10 grand and someone else paid me 10 to 20 grand, that's not fair on you. So actually having a price and owning it and believing in yourself and working on your craft as well. You know, I've been doing public speaking a long time. I've got the world record for the longest public speech. I've been public speaking 15 years. So, you know, I haven't just made this number up. But um, for sure, um, you've got to be consistent. Because otherwise it's unfair on everybody else. And then the market doesn't respect your value. Like if you know you can always get the clothes in the sale, you just wait for the sale and you never buy the clothes for full price. That's why Rolex don't discount their watches. Exactly. Chanel bags too. And yeah. some brands I know. sale, but those never. And they even raise prices every year. Yeah. <laughs> and they yeah. the huge demand, like, you know, that <laughs> everyone wants it and, they don't have enough supply <laughs> yeah yeah supply and demand so when yeah. you make yourself in demand and you don't commoditize yourself too much then your price will go up that's why in you know lockdown prices of everything went up and it surprised a lot of people real estate prices went wild watch prices went wild it's because of undersupply because obviously the lockdowns meant there was no production so supply and demand is a big thing. You, like my friend was Michael Jackson's bodyguard for 10 years. And Michael Jackson, let's be honest, was the master of self-promotion. Um, and basically what he'd do was he'd always, when it, wherever he was, he'd always tip off all the media. Um, and, you know, apparently his like white socks and his pulled up trousers and his one glove. People would ask him, why do you wear one glove? And he would say, so that you ask me why I wear one glove. Exactly. <laughs> so he'd do these things just for attention. But then, then when he realized that maybe, you know, everyone was knowing him and he was being a bit, he was too common. He'd go into hiding and he wouldn't do any media for months. And he'd let that demand for Michael Jackson come back again and build up again. So it's that balance between being out there and taking opportunities, but also creating demand for yourself as well. I agree. You've interviewed and interacted with so many billionaires. What sets them apart from others? What are their unique traits? Curiosity, definitely. So um, I've interviewed 16 billionaires for my Disruptors past, and I'm friends with a few billionaires. And, you know, learned a lot from, you know, standing on the shoulders of the giants and modeling the traits of the greats. So, um, yeah, curiosity is one. Um, they desire to serve vast numbers of people. 
They are um, intense problem solvers. They have a high threshold for dealing with pressure and stress. Um, they have vast distribution channels of, you know, millions of customers or followers. There's about 22 different um, commonalities of billionaires I found. There's five for you. Those are impressive, especially I can totally relate to curiosity because you want to learn new things all the time. Like I love to learn and I keep learning and I'm just like always hungry for new knowledge, for new information. And I can totally relate to like, you know, you say in connections and of course, yeah, they're just serving vast numbers of people. Yes. So mm. all of these are, of course, incredible. What is more important, time or money? I would say that time is the most valuable and precious commodity we have. You can't get time back if you lose it or waste it, but you can get money back if you lose it or you waste it. So you always have another go to get money back. But time once gone is gone. So the more precious, valuable commodity is time. However, money can, if you turn a passion into a profession and you pursue a meaningful cause and you create an enterprise that's valuable to people and you enjoy your work, then you can use money to free time because you can hire staff so you don't have to do the admin. You can travel across the world quickly. Um, you can make your life easier and you can do things faster and with less friction with more money. And if you don't earn well, you'll have to spend a lot of your money. Sorry, if you, have to, if you don't earn well, you'll have to spend a lot of your time to try to earn money. And you know what, what broke people are doing is giving away all their time to try and earn money and what rich people are doing is giving away all their money to try and buy back time so it's a bit of a paradox so i'd say time is the most important and precious commodity but money can be a gift or a curse relating to time depending on how well you master money very interesting i know there's like they also like depend on each other and of course like you explained they buy time to make money and you know, some people miss that fact and they just wasting all this time to chasing money it never happens for them. Yeah. How do you find time to write all these amazing best-selling books? And what is your secret about time management? I actually wrote at least two books on time management. One's called Start Now, Get Perfect Later. And one's called Routine Equals Results. So, um, yeah. I've written books on this subject. So how do I write so many books? Number one is I've got an active brain. It's always thinking it's difficult for me to switch it off. So writing is a form of catharsis and therapy and the creative expression of what's going on in my somewhat crazy wired brain. So I guess naturally it's almost like a therapy you could say for me. Um, definitely cheaper than therapy. Um, just like podcasting is and public speaking, etc. So I'm naturally of the person that would express themselves through content and writing and letting out everything that's in my head. 
I also think the more you learn, the more you write, or the more you learn, the more you teach, because the more you put in your mind, the more you can express out. And like you, I love to learn. I've read over 3,000 books or audiobooks or podcasts I've, I've listened to, maybe, maybe more. Um, the next thing is I want to help people and I want to figure things out and I want to make people's lives easier. And I want to leave something behind. I want my life to have mattered and live on a little bit beyond me. I don't have to be known for a million years, but, you know, maybe a hundred years. And Think and Grow Rich, that book's nearly a hundred years old. And so a useful book that helps people is a good legacy to leave. And also it's a good way to reach people. You know, so many hundreds of thousands of people across the world have read my books and I've never met them. So how do I write so many books is uh, I wrote a book called Routine Equals Results. And in that book, it talks about compartmentalizing your time. And I basically ring fence two hours a day when I'm writing a book to write a book or I go away somewhere really nice and expensive on purpose. And I take 10 days and I get the whole book done in 10 days. And the more expensive it is, the more accountability there is to get the book written. Because if I went to some crappy two-star local, you know, mobile home for a holiday, not knocking that, but if I did that, I'd be like, oh, well, it only cost me a couple hundred quid. It doesn't really matter. Whereas if I went to Sandy Lane in Barbados and stayed in a six-star, if I don't write this book, I've wasted 20 grand. So occasionally I'll go and do a really fancy holiday and it will just commit me to writing the book. Um, and other times I just write one to two hours a day. And when you write one to two hours a day, in two or three years, you could have written two or three books. Um, I, I think if it's important, you'll make time. And if it's not, you'll make an excuse. And content creation for me is very important. You know, I was a, an overweight kid when I was young. Um, and, you know, what happened with my dad and I would be a people pleaser and a repressor of emotions. And it's important me for, for me now to express my emotions so that I stay of good mental health and well-being. And repression for me is bad. And I've done it much of my life and it, it doesn't end well for me. Because um, it ends up getting expressed in the wrong ways. So continual expression through podcasts and audiobooks and live streams and collabs books and seminars and public speaking and all of that it's a way for me to express myself and turn it into an asset that's valuable to people that's incredible and I can totally relate to you said the podcasting helps you kind of inspires you it, it helped me actually to get through a pandemic because when my podcast was like super successful got super successful during pandemic because everyone was at home and everyone you know wanted to record everyone was listening so that's it actually helped me when everyone was complaining that they have nothing to do they're so bored and I was like I don't have time <laughs> for anything like I was so busy slept with everything <laughs> and actually like I love how you said it and I love the book the one you said um start now um, you know, get perfect later. I've usually procrastinated so much because I was a perfectionist and I wouldn't start anything till I actually had everything perfectly done, perfectly ready to go. But like then you just lose so much time. And then I learned like, I will just start and whatever happens, I will learn the process and I will just keep going 
And of course, you learn in the process anyway, even if you start perfect, you still have a lot to learn when you start something. Amen. You can only um, get good at something when you start it. And the paradox is everyone's looking to be perfect before they start, so they never start. And nothing is meant to be easy at the start, because if it was, then we'd just be good at everything automatically. So, you know, being less of a perfectionist and more of an imaginer and creative and playful and not taking yourself too seriously and just trying things and enjoying the variety. I think that's a great attitude for life. We're all too worried about what everyone would think about us if we try something. Oh, who fucking cares? Exactly. (laughs) That's what my philosophy always now. (laughs) (laughs) What is your best advice? Like what's the best path to success? The best path to success is to find the thing that you're meant to do that makes you feel somewhat fulfilled that you mostly enjoy. And that can be useful to as many people as possible or a few people, but really useful to them. So success, of course, it's individual definitions, but I think a common definition is because if you made a load of money doing what you hate, that wouldn't be success. If you did what you love and you were always broke, that probably wouldn't be success. If you helped everyone else, but you were a complete wreck yourself, that wouldn't be a success. And if you were so selfishly self-obsessed and you were all right, but everyone else wasn't, that wouldn't be a success. So success is actually a balance of those things. How can you love what you do and do what you love and serve other people equally? How can you make money and make a difference? I would say that's success. And We've all got our own thing. You could call it a calling. You could call it a mission. You could call it a vocation. But every single one of us has got a unique path that we can take where we can be the maximum useful that we can to as many people as possible on this planet. And if we figure out what that is and we live in pursuit of that, that's success. Wow, that's wonderful. Like you just laid it out perfectly. And it totally explains it. I totally agree with you too, that it has to be a great balance. It can be just like completely racked in one area of your life and be successful in other. Like some guys, I don't really consider being successful if they're single and yes, they grew this huge career, but they don't have a family. But then like, you know, and on the other hand, some guys have like three kids, a huge family, and they have this huge business and they're very successful. I mean, I feel like that is more successful than the other. I think the thing is, you must be clear on your own definition. Um, because a slippery path to unhappiness is where you're trying to live up to other people's definition of success. That's when it's going to be hard for you. Um, So get clear on your own definition. And also, um, happiness is not success. There's a lot of people out there that think that being successful is just being happy. But happiness is a transient emotion. And it's one of thousands of transient emotions that we have happiness is not an outcome or a destination or an end journey 
It's a transient emotion. It's feedback of our environment. It's a reward for, you know, something that our brain perceives we did well, that moved us more towards safety and more away from threat. But too many people think that success is happiness and happiness is success. Not true. Absolutely. And I love how you said that everyone has to have their own definition of success, not to live up to definition, like definition of success that others have. Yeah, because I, I think grave unhappiness is living someone else's life and trying to convince yourself or someone trying to convince you that that's the life you should live. That's never going to, that's never going to fit well it's never going to end well and you know sometimes I catch myself and I I look at someone and I think damn they got a better podcast guest than me or damn they did that and that was I'd have liked to have done that and then I just have to remind myself Rob that's nice but it's not you so let it go be happy for them and focus on what you do which yeah. is to help us you know, my mission is to help as many people on this planet start to scale their business and get better financial knowledge. I remind That's what myself. I do. Yeah, I remind myself not to compare myself to others because I have mm. and I have different talents, so yeah, <laughs> it's different. Oh, that that comparison curse. If you think about it, it is one of the biggest curses because, like, imagine you'd had a bad day. Why? Because you're comparing yourself to someone on social media who's pouting and look beautiful and just, just said they've had an amazing day. But if you'd been in a concentration camp for 20 years and you got freed yesterday and we were talking today, you would be so happy. You would smell the air. If it was cold, you would say it's beautiful to be cold. You know, if you were stuck in a little room doing a podcast with me, but it's so nice to be stuck in this podcast little room. So nice to be talking to this British guy and, you know, blah, blah. And you'd be so grateful because you're comparing it to an awful situation. So comparing yourself to others is a mild version of that, whereby you're robbing yourself of your own gratitude and presence and happiness because you're comparing yourself to someone else's life. So don't do that. I try and remind myself every day I haven't got cancer and my, you know, my wife and my children are with me and alive. And, you know, my sister runs in, sorry, my um, daughter runs in most days and comes and gives me a big hug and I hug her and I smell her and she's seven. Um, and I'm like, oh, I'm so grateful to have you. And I didn't know what I'd do if you weren't here. A lot of our pain comes comparing ourselves to fantasies um, or ideologies or our stresses because we expected things to be easier or better or we expected to be bigger. And of course, this is quite a pandemic on social media because everyone's, you know, making themselves look different through cosmetics and filters. And, you know, I, I think that that can be quite dangerous in some respects. I totally respect anyone's desire, opinion or whatever to do whatever they want with their body and their face. But I just think, I think beauty is not in a filter. I think beauty is in someone's natural face, how they were born, their little wrinkles and dimples and, you know, blemishes. I personally think that there's beauty in that than, you know, filtered and makeup and 
injected and cosmetics because I think everyone's beautiful and you don't need to change who you are because of what you think someone else might like the look of. I've never had Botox. You can see, look at that. There's some <laughs> wrinkles there going on. And um, I'm 43 and, you know, I've got a little bit of redness in my face. And I've just got a bit of a grey patch, you can see there. And I've learned to love that about me instead of wanting to be 25 again. And that's, a, a, I think, I just think that that should be talked about a little bit more. I love it. Couldn't agree more. And where can our listeners find you? Your social handles, all your information? So my usernames, at Rob Moore or at Rob Moore Progressive, at Rob Moore Progressive or at Rob Moore. I'm on every single social media channel except OnlyFans. <laughs> um, that's not happened yet, but never say never. Um, and then my podcast is called Disruptors. And probably the book you'd want to start on of mine would be money. Thank you so much, Rob, for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for all the information. So glad to have you as my guest. Thank you. I've loved this. I love what you're doing. You're killing it on Instagram. You know, great work on, you know, how you're making your little dent in the universe. And thanks for having me on your show. Thank you so much. That was all for today, guys. I hope you really enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Not Basic Blonde podcast is available on all the major platforms with new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. To support the show, tag NBB Podcast on your Instagram stories and check out more behind the scenes on Instagram as well at notbasicblonde underscore or NBB Podcast. And if you haven't, subscribe, rate and review Not Basic Blonde Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.